Can you see joy in my face right now? <laughs> no, because joy is in here, right? Joy isn't circumstantial, like happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Like, for example, a few years ago when, this is a personal story, when the Patriots uh, were playing against Seattle and that throw that Butler intercepted, I had great happiness. And I hit the ceiling and I was very happy, very happy. But that wasn't joy, that was happiness, right? I was very happy. But even happiness sometimes, I, you know, speaking personally, sometimes I don't show happiness really well either because I'm kind of a dull guy, okay? <laughs> Up here I may be a little exciting at times, but in real life I'm very dull. And so when I was dating my wife right over there, Beth, she lived in Martha's Vineyard, which is really cool, you know, because I get to take the boat over to Martha's Vineyard. And, but it was a bad period of my life as far as the 70s. I, you know, you young people don't remember the 70s, but I, I wore a, a red sweatsuit. All, I was all red. <laughs> and I had a red car, a red Datsun. They don't even make Datsuns. And I had an orange basketball. And I got off the boat, and I went over to see Beth, and I was very excited inside, but I didn't, sound, I didn't show it. I was very dull. I was like, hey, hey, Beth, good to see you, good to see you. Unfortunately, I passed this on to my son, Eli. He has the same curse. Uh, we, we have a lot of happiness inside, but we don't show it real well, okay? So it's a real problem. But joy, getting back to joy, joy is, a, you know, it's not circumstantial. And the, you know, the testimony that we heard already today, joy is bigger than that. And we'll talk a lot more about that today. Uh, that joy is not circumstantial. It is, it's, it's there. It's in your heart. So we're going to sing a little song now that I sang to my kids, Eli and his brother Heath, growing up. And it has to do with joy, and it's a very simple song. And I don't normally sing, so I'm sorry uh, for you. Um, so I'm, they hopefully will drown me out. I think they turned the mic off in the first service. <laughs> I think when I was singing, they turned it off. All right, so it's a very simple song. You guys know this song. You ready? I guess. <laughs> Are you happy? Okay. I've, 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 got, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay And I'm so happy, so very happy I have the love of Jesus in my heart, oh yes I do And I'm so happy, so very happy I have the love of Jesus in my heart Okay, we're, that was good. We're going to do it again. This, this side, you're going to sing I've got the joy, joy uh, down in my heart, right? Down in my heart. And you guys are going to say where, but well, you're going to have to be enthusiastic, okay? <laughs> say where, like where, all right? So this, we're only going to do the first part, not the whole thing, okay? Are you guys ready? So you guys, oh yeah, you, you got it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. Good. Good job. Good job. All right. So the point of that is it's in your heart. Joy's in your heart. It's not surfacy. It's not all that surfacy stuff. 
So today, that was my introduction. So today what we're going to do is we're going to um, read a couple of scriptures, very short ones, and then uh, we're going to, I'm going to tell two stories, tell two stories about true joy. And my sister wrote these, and we'll talk more about her later. She's here. She's here. All right. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to share as well, if we have time. We'll see, if, we'll see how this goes. But first we should pray. Uh, dear Lord, just thank you for uh, just giving us a reason to have joy that you sent your son. And uh, without him, there is no joy. There really isn't. So thank you for sending him and help us to share that joy uh, with other people during this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the first scripture is Luke 2, 10 and 11. All right, we're going to turn to that. I know I should have it memorized, but I don't. I feel very guilty. I don't memorize scripture very well. I feel bad about that. I always get very nervous whenever they made me do it. All right, here we go, Luke 2.10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So the great joy to all people is Jesus. I mean, it's so simple. I love simplicity. I, I'm not very deep. You know, I love simplicity. It's all about Jesus. This is the reason for joy, the real reason for joy. And the other verse, which is 1 Thessalonians 5.16, is just um, be joyful always. Be joyful always. And then, and then there was another verse that I, I, I forgot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> maybe that was meant to be. Um, so the whole idea is with Jesus, you can be joyful always. Without Jesus, you cannot. So it's joyful. You're only joyful if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Other than that, you know, we can't do it. We can be happy. The Patriots could win this afternoon, and we could be happy. <laughs> but we're not going to be joyful, okay? My father, who was a pastor, um, always liked to have you remember things by little catchy ways of, you know, I don't know. It's an acronym? Is that the right word? You know, I like an acronym. So joy, this is the way I want you to remember joy. So it's J equals Jesus, O is over, and Y is you. Jesus over you, because he's got, Jesus has got your back. You know, whatever you face in life, he's got your back. You know, he's always there for you. He, Jesus is the answer for the world today. So whenever you're facing trials, and we'll talk about some trials that my parents faced, he's got you. He's got you. Jesus over you. So that's how I remember it. My dad, you know, when you grow up, you say, I, please, don't, I don't want to ever act like my father or say things like my father. And my father wasn't really funny. He wasn't really funny. He didn't have a great sense of humor, but he tried to say funny things. And I remember one thing he said that I didn't really get, but now I say it. You know, it's one of those dumb things. The first service didn't like this at all, so I'm trying it on you guys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, it's, you know when you get in a car, i got to explain it better this time. So when you get in the car, you have to get in the car, right? So if someone says something for you to get in the car, he used to say, if you can't get a board, get a shingle. Okay, no reaction there either. All right, 0 oh for 2 on the reaction. If you can't get a board, get a shingle. We thought it was stupid too, but apparently you did too. 
All right. So much for my dad's thoughts on things. Good thing he could sing and do other things. All right. Jeff Mealy. Where's Jeff Mealy? Is he here? Jeff Mealy. You know, one thing about Jeff Mealy, I met Jeff Mealy, uh, who's someone that goes here, through Jumpstart. And it's real, Jumpstart, I'm doing a little promotional for Jumpstart. It's a great way to get to know people and then find that they're fit for the church and how they can plug in in the church. So if you, don't, if you haven't been to Jumpstart, please do. And that's how I met Jeff Mealy. And he wrote me this text, and I thought, I'm going to use that text. It's really a good text. So this is his text to me about joy. I'll give him proper credit. Joy is contentment found in Christ and him alone. Paul knew that. He sang hymns in prison. He endured joyfully. So Paul got the joy thing. He really got it. Because he could sing hymns and songs in prison. And then this is Jeff kind of meeting me where I'm at. Joy is knowing the outcome is a win. Because I care about winning too much. Joy is knowing the outcome of a win before the game starts. So you know you get the win. So no matter what you're doing during the game and whatever you're facing, you may be falling on the floor, maybe getting hurt, and, and, uh, but you know you've got the win no matter what. So joy is knowing that no matter what is happening now, something awesome is going to happen later and you are going to be a part of it. So you're going to be a part of it. You know, no matter what happens down here, you've got it. You've got the win. You're going to be with Jesus someday, you know? And that's... It's very simple, but hard to, you know, hard to remember through the hard times. And we'll talk about the hard times um, when we get to the stories. So I thought that was good. And I'm going to tell two stories now. And uh, these two stories, uh, my sister, who's here, wave. My sister, uh, Donna, and uh, she wrote these two stories about our family. And, and my brother, here's wave, Chuck, wave. <laughs> my brother's here, too. Uh, which I didn't know. This is a surprise. So it was kind of cool. So um, we were uh, blessed with great parents and great role models. And there's nothing we can, I mean, we can never, I just, I can't believe how good they were. You know, now being a parent the way I was and having, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know sorry, Eli, you know. <laughs> they were so good. You know, they're hard to measure up to. Um, you know, and you know that uh, Spider-Man scripture in Luke about, you know, you know, it's, what is it again? With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it's in Luke. It's in Luke. Look it up. It's the Spider-Man scripture, okay? And it's true. I mean, I have a great responsibility because of how I was brought up. And I haven't done a great job with that, but... This, I can share a little bit about my parents today through my sister. And uh, so they were a great example of joy. Jesus over you. They were a great example because they endured much but had joy. So I'm going to tell you those. But first, I, I want to say a couple things about Donna. Donna, my sister right there. <laughs> she is really smart, okay? She went to school. She went to Gordon. I went to Gordon. She went as an ed major, I think. Right? I went as a fit is, phys ed major. And you know what they say about phys ed. You know, those who can't teach, teach phys ed. <laughs> Here's the sad part. I couldn't even teach phys ed. <laughs> this is the sad part. I, I went to a couple, you know, schools to visit, and I, I said, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. So I just graduated with a degree, kind of a useless degree, in physical education. 
And I won't go on to what, what I did with it, but I did do something. Um, so my sister, getting back to how smart she is, she went on you know, to master's degree, and then she got her doctorate, and then she taught at Gordon College for many, many years, and still does even though she's retired. So she's really smart, and I'm not. So <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna have trouble reading her story. So I took a couple of words out, and she said it was okay. There's a couple words I couldn't really read, and I'd mess up. So we're gonna, I'm going to try to read two of her stories, and they're about our family and, and uh, what we learned about true joy and true peace. So um, I'm going to try to read those without messing up with her here. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> the first service, I didn't have that. So, All right, so the first story is called Dawn's Song. And just to make sure you're paying attention, I will interrupt myself to make sure you're listening. And I will clue you in if you don't know something, and I'll go, who the heck is that? I'll try to tell you who it is, okay? Because it could be confusing, all right? You guys with me? Yep. Yep. And I may ask you questions right in the middle of this whole thing, just to see if you know what's going on. I'm gonna sit down like I'm telling a story. And Jesus was all about telling stories and parables, so this is legit. Okay, don't think, this, don't, don't, don't think this is not legit. This is legit. I'm telling stories that my sister wrote, so don't make fun of my sister either. All right? So this first story is in 1958. It's a long time ago. I need some water, and it's here this time. In the first service, it just miraculously appeared, which was really cool. You missed that. All right, Don's song. All right, as children bounced between parents and sloshed their Kool-Aid, the middle-aged pastor, my dad, known for his wide smile and warm brown eyes, was not smiling. His brow was furrowed, and, and his sight was engaged in something outside the boisterous group in the church basement. His shoulders were slumped ever so slightly, and he moved with a shuffle that never had been a part of his normal gait. It was the closing ceremony of daily vacation Bible school, and the families were oblivious to the terror in this man's heart. Only a few people knew. Before I go any further, these stories are kind of sad, okay? But try to work through it. They're very sad. Just as a warning, a warning, they're sad. What? Joy. Yeah, they end up with joy, but they can be sad. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> okay. Early in the day, the wizened, white-haired doctor had broken the news. Eunice, that's my mom, Eunice, was dying. Ever the man of faith, Cliff, my dad, and he always used to say, my name's Cliff, drop over sometime. <laughs> oh, sure, you like that one. Sure. You can't get a board, get a shingle, is nothing, but Cliff, drop over sometime is good. Gee. Uh, he'd be very happy. Yeah, he'd be very happy. All right, I'll go back to that again. Ever the man of faith, Cliff, attempted to uh, stifle the red-hot fear and anguish that threatened to erupt in his inner core. He drove home praying and begging God to save the life of the woman he loved. She was half of their team and the only woman for him. She ran the youth group, taught Sunday school, played the big old pipe organ in the loft, directed the choir, and helped him visit needy folks in the church. On top of that, she was a stay-at-home mother of four and his best cheerleader. She believed in him, even when he did not. 
imagination of a life without her overwhelmed him. They had a two-week baby, a two-week-old baby to raise, me. So now do the math, 1958, now you know how old I am. <laughs> she could not uh, leave him alone to, to do that. You know, don't leave me alone. All right, after giving birth early in the week, Eunice's vital sounds had, be, had begun to spiral out of control, and she was sent to a city hospital. They could not identify the problem, but because the spleen was three times its normal size, they removed it. She continued to weaken. The doctors felt she had no more than a day to live. She was in a coma. Any questions at this point? So my mother is not doing well. She's in a coma. And my dad is stressed, traumatized. During the previous week in the parsonage, Cliff had done his best to mother his infant son, me. He sat in the overused secondhand velvet rocker with a bottle of formula trying to understand why the baby was crying and sometimes just wanting to jump right in and holler with him. He was up during the nights for feedings. The other three children had to have lunch boxes packed, hair combed, and clean clothes chosen for school in the mornings. He had a sermon to write, church business to oversee, and at the hospital a few hours each day with his dearest friend and love, Eunice, my mother. The church was rural, South Paris, Maine. It was in South Paris, Maine. And everybody knew each other's business. The parishioners cared deeply about the trials of their usually energetic and nurturing pastor. Food was delivered to the Parsonist Church. There was a lineup of various women ready to care for the children, and different men drove Cliff to the city to visit his wife. The city must have been Lewiston, right? Yeah, Lewiston, Maine. As Cliff uh, locked the church door after daily vacation Bible school celebration, he reached for his keys in his pocket and headed down the country road toward the city lights. No matter how dire her situation, he knew Eunice would have counseled him to be at the church rather than her bedside. But in his heart, he had never left her there. All right. I need to blow my nose. Sorry. This should never happen when you're speaking. But the alternative is worse. Okay. Just, that's just the way it is. All right. You still with me, everybody? Still not doing well. All right. As he made his way up the worn brick stairs at the hospital and stepped into the hallway, he looked to the right to see the waiting room filled with people, people he knew. One of the deacons grabbed his hand and pulled him into the circle of parishioners crowded into the room. He said, Pastor Cliff, we know about Eunice, and we want you to know that we are going to be right here all night praying for her. We won't be leaving you alone, and we believe God will hear our prayers. Cliff was moved to tears. He swallowed a sob. He couldn't let his flock see him fall apart, so he gulped back his emotions and hugged or shook, he hugged, <laughs> my dad hugged, <laughs> or shook hands with every one of them. Then he moved into the dark inner sanctum of a hospital shrouded in night silence. Eunice was in a private room hooked up to intravenous bottles and oxygen. She was not moving, and Cliff had to stare intently to see her chest rise as her breathing was shallow and slow. There was one light on over her bed and a nurse sitting in a chair next to the bed. The nurse looked relieved. She could, take, uh, she could take a break while Cliff was in the room. He had been a medic during the war and would be able to call a nurse if one was needed. Cliff sat down and held Eunice's cold and limp hand in his. He started to reminisce aloud of how they had met. He recalled that it all started when he had met, he'd made a bet, not that my parents bet, okay? He'd made a bet with the other, other young men uh, that he could make her smile, make her smile. One of the young women, 
of all the young women working at summer camp, she was the most serious. She was shy, purposeful, and driven to do well at anything she was asked to do. One of the things she did noticeably well was to play the piano. On several occasions, she was asked to accompany Cliff as he sang solos or played the trumpet. By the end of the summer, the bet had, had to be paid up. He had made her smile. A year after they met, he had gone off to war, and she had written to him throughout his hellish experience as a medic in Europe. He started in North Africa, went up through Italy, and ended up in the Battle of the Bulge. His young mind was traumatized, and all he held on to was his faith that God would see him through, seeing his big, noisy family and that wonderfully talented and shy girl, Eunice. When he had come home, he found Eunice playing the piano for an evening church service. She looked up from the music and saw him standing in the back of the auditorium. She stopped in the middle of a chord, jumped up from the piano bench, ran off the platform, and threw her arms around him. The whole church let out a collective sigh. From that moment on, they did everything together, and what they loved most was making music. She played the piano with passion and finesse, and he sang or played the trumpet with equal vigor. You're probably asking yourself now, why didn't Mark get any of these skills? Okay? I don't know where, I just missed a generation. All right. As she lay there, not hearing a thing, he was saying, he was saying he was prompted by his monologue to start singing the songs that the two of them had entertained church services with so enthusiastically. He sang, Great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace, and how great thou art, followed by the old rugged cross and blessed assurance. It was about 2 a.m., and he did not feel his voice or energy could sustain another song. As he stopped, he heard a whisper from the bed, Sing, Cliff. Sing some more, Cliff. Her eyes were still closed, but she had spoken. He was rejuvenated by hope. He broke into, there is power in the blood. Precious Lord, take my hand, and I surrender all. Again, the breathy whisper came. Sing, Cliff. Sing some more. And so it went through the early morning hours. He was hoarse and exhausted, but not hopeless. As he looked out the fifth floor window, he saw the first pink hint of a blush streak, the skies with dawn light. He closed his eyes and searched his brain for one more song to sing and came back to where he started, Great is thy faithfulness. He sang, Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. As he finished the chorus, Eunice opened her eyes and smiled. Cliff covered her face in light kisses. He loved to kiss. It was, it was the beginning of a miraculous recovery. The doctors were mystified and everyone rejoiced, especially a small and tired crowd in the waiting room. When Cliff stepped into the room in the early morning hours, he marveled that they were still there praying. They shared tears and hugs and he told them of what had transpired throughout the night. He experienced true joy. Jesus over you. He was, Jesus was right there over this whole situation, and he had his back. It is now 2019, and we know a little more about what happened that night. Scientific data has proven that music has a significant effect on bringing patients out of comas. No one knew that in 1958, except God. So that is the first story. Oh. The second story, learn from me. It's another sad one. I'll try to get through it. All right. 
my mom and dad, this is Donna speaking, so this is from her voice. This is you. <laughs> my mom and dad were a rare pair that our, little, uh, that our little church in South Paris, Maine, was pleased to have running their ministry in the 50s and 60s. Dad was a shepherding pastor, played the trumpet, and had a strong baritone voice utilized for singing solos. Mom played the piano, organ, and accordion, led the choir, taught Sunday school, and ran the youth program. To top it off, they loved their work, and they were adolescently in love with each other for close to 40 years. At about the 25th year of their marriage, Dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor. He had several brain surgeries and radiation. He was able to work part-time for a few years, but the last five years of his life, his health declined markedly. His faith and trust in God grew even stronger as his body gave out on him. Mom took great care and loving, great and loving care of him, even though that they had no income, and the home they rented required every dollar they had. Their faith never wavered, and their love for each other was evident. One thing about my dad, just a quick aside, is I've never met anyone in my life that, that was so focused on what's above. He, he was looking forward to going to heaven so much. You know, the things of this world meant nothing to him. I mean, he, he had no um, things that I struggle with, selfishness and pride, you know. He, he had a goofy-looking toupee that he had to wear. And he'd wear it in public because he just didn't care what people thought of him because he had inner joy. He, his joy was in Jesus. It wasn't on what people thought of him. You know, it was really amazing. All right. <clears throat> There's much that could be said about Dad's passing, but that is not the emphasis of this story. When my dad had left this world, we had a memorial service in celebration of his life and his going home to be with the Lord. This was the day after my wife and I got married in 1981. Now I've lost my place. The church was packed. Mom played the piano, there were multiple speakers, and we all left uplifted and encouraged. This was late in August. By October, I could tell that Mom was struggling, lonely and depressed, all new emotions for her. Her husband did not need her anymore. Her loving partner in ministry was gone, and she was financially destitute. She did not know what to do with herself. She cried a great deal, and she pled with God to give her some direction. Aware of this, I invited her to come down to Massachusetts in Beverly, Mass., and spend the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving with us. I had three little boys was, and was working part-time at the Sofro sewing store. After Mom had been with us for a few days, I got a frantic call from my husband, Frank, who's also here, uh, while I was working at Sofro. He told me I needed to come home immediately. My mom was in her bedroom sobbing and almost screaming in agony. I could hear it over the phone. I got in the car and rushed home. By the time I got to her, Mom had quieted down some, but was still sobbing. I held her in my arms and asked her what had happened. Between gulps and sobs, she informed me that for the very first time in her life, she could not connect with God. She said that this disconnection had been in play for about a month, and no matter what she did, she could not reach him. This was startling and devastating to me because the one thing we knew about our mother was her strong and loving connection with God. She spent time in worship and prayer every day without fail. She wrote in her prayer journal and meditated on God's leading through, through the Holy Spirit. And here she was telling me that God was gone. She said, my prayers just go up into the air and go nowhere. She added, I feel like I'm at the bottom of a very deep pit, and I can't see any light when I look up. I've lost your father and God at the same time. How could God abandon me at the time I need him most? 
I had no answer. I had always depended on a mom who had the right spiritual answers, and now she had gone. As soon as, not, had, had none. As soon as Thanksgiving dinner was over, she packed her old suitcase into her old, very old car and headed for Maine. My brothers and our spouses sat around the table she had vacated and tried to think what we could do for her. We ordered flowers to be delivered when she got home, but could not think of another thing we could do. We prayed for her and agreed to check, with, with, check in with her daily. The next morning, everything changed. We all heard from Mom, and the moment we heard her lilting and excited voice, we knew something amazing had happened. She said that when she got home, she had been drawn to the basement where Dad's sermons had been packed away in a filing cabinet. Not knowing why, she opened the cabinet and grabbed a file. To her surprise, it was not a sermon, but a piece of poetry written by Dad. No one knows when he wrote it, but we do know it was long before he died. These are the words that Mom found in Dad's handwriting. If I had to live over again, it would be much different, I am sure. My motives and passions I'd disdain, looking back through eternity's door. My spending of time and physical talent would be lifted from that of self-pleasure and, and being hardy or even courageously gallant would in no way be my life's measure. So you who are st living still, don't live in an air of despair when you've gone to the Lord for repair. He made you both body and soul, you know. The flesh has birth in a physical way, but the soul has suffered death by a satanic foe and needs new life like a dawning day. God gave the gift of his dying son, paying the penalty for your personal sin. And by faith in him, forgiveness is won, and heaven's gates are open to let you in. Now I know you are in a heartbroken state, naturally, over the physical loss of me. But won't you consider your own dying fate and give your life its destiny? It was like receiving a letter from the grave. She knew without a doubt that God had heard her prayers, and she knew what she would do with the rest of her life. God and Dad had given her a blueprint for what she should do, and she went on to do it until the day she died. She never lost contact with God again. I cannot be sure why God allowed her to go through the spiritual trauma any more than I understand why Job had to go through the multiple trials he suffered. What I do know, what I do know is that because of a lifetime of connecting with God, Mom persisted in asking for God's help, and secondly, when the answer came, it was irrefutable and clear. She knew her destiny was to continue telling others about Jesus. Though she was naturally an introvert, she became a speaker and led many women to the Lord. Our God has promised that he will never leave or forsake us, even though we leave and forsake him frequently. His love never gives up. Mom felt like he had given up on her, but he was working in his own timing to teach and guide her. Building a relationship with God includes the growth of faith, trust, self-discipline, openness, surrender, and obedience, but promises unsurpassed love, peace, joy, and hope. As mom discovered, connection to God is not always easy, predictable, or on our terms, but it is oh so powerful, reliable, and loving. God never forsakes those he loves, and he loves every one of us. He's got your back. Joy over us. He's got it. He's the answer. So just to give you the rest of the story, which is also sad, um, but that is sad in a good way. That was sad in a good way. 
My mom lived only three more years after that. Um, and the, but the neat thing was that she had prayed that she never would have to um, go through suffering like she'd seen my father go through. So, you know, she was driving to my sister's house from Marlboro, Mass, and she had a head-on collision with a Hertz Penske truck uh, and died uh, fairly quickly and without suffering. And I, it was weird because when my sister had called me at work and I was driving home, I experienced pure joy, prefer, perhaps for one of the first times in my life, because at first I was despaired that, you know, that she probably wasn't going to live and she wouldn't get to meet my kids or pray for my kids. But then this thing called pure joy came over me because I realized that she was going to be happy and she was going to be with my dad and she was in heaven. So how can you, how can you beat that? And that was pure joy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pure joy is really knowing that Jesus is the answer. He was born, he came, he died, and that no matter what you face in life, that's, he is the answer. It's that simple. It's that simple. Which is great for me because I'm simple and not that smart. So, um, and it's down in your heart. You know, it really is down in your heart, like we sang earlier. <clears throat> 